Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah in the Kintec studio. Ed Jovanovski, Jovo Cop, going to join us coming up after 5 o'clock. His take on the Florida Panthers and uh, Roberto Luongo as well. Ring of Honor night for Roberto Luongo. We uh, just started the conversation about Thatcher Demko and essentially can he get into the realm of Roberto Luongo as the greatest Canucks goaltender of all time, which is quite rightly Roberto Luongo at this point. Yes. Um, it's very difficult to have this argument based on statistics. Games played, wins, even save percentage seems like a bit of a long shot, especially because Luongo played through the best era of mm-hmm. Canucks hockey as well. I mean, those two teams that won the President's Trophy were unreal. Yeah. And he was unreal. They were a perfect match of great defensive and a great goaltender behind them. Canucks are trying to build that right now. But Demko's numbers also kind of sag because the start of his career has coincided with a down po- down point of where the Canucks organization is. And so to see him get to the wins that Roberto Luongo had – to play anywhere near as many games as Roberto Luongo had. He's going to have to extend his Canucks career by at least two seasons beyond his current contract. So on those numbers, it's it's very difficult to see how Thatcher Demko is able to get into the realm of Roberto Luongo's current numbers. Well, I mean, it's interesting because Luongo, when he was traded to Vancouver, was 27. Yeah. Thatcher Demko, when he became, uh, you know, essentially wrestled away to starting job um, from Braden Holpe and became the starter, um, was 2020-2021, yeah. where he was, he turned 26 that year. Mm-hmm. They let him develop for a very long time, yeah. You know, and I think it's one of those things, which is fine, right? Yep. But it just kind of tells you, like, Luongo got here around the same age, and, and look at the numbers he put up afterwards. Yeah. But he played 70-plus games in his Canucks career twice. Exactly. Played over 60 games a couple of times as well. The games, it's just going to be really tough. Like, unless Thatcher Demko stays here long-term, you're right. I think the numbers, it's going to be really hard for him to get there. Like, he's, what, 100 and, uh, uh, what, 50, 57 wins behind Luongo at this point, too, which would, what, be at least five years away? Mm-hmm. You know, we're baking in a couple 40-win seasons. Yeah. You know, too, that's like, you know, the team has to be really, you healthy and also super successful over that uh, period of time. This process also illustrates just how great Luongo was. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's, I think that's, I think that's the point here, too, that Luongo was so good that we may be waiting, we may have some great goalies in Vancouver, mm-hmm. but we may never see somebody, somebody break those numbers, right? But to me, it doesn't always come down to numbers for who is considered the best goal you've always had. Accolades? Accolades and overall success, mm-hmm. overall wins. I mean, it's gonna again. It's gonna be hard to uh, beat Luongo in, but Luongo had one run in the playoffs in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They uh, they won one round a few times. Yep. But they only made one run beyond the first round, and that was to the Cup final. How many runs can they make with Demko? Can they get beyond beyond the second round more than once? Yeah. Can they get to a cup final? Could they maybe win a cup, right? I think that's the ultimate one. And if he does maybe snag a Vesna or two, 
that always changes the discussion a little bit too, right? And if he's the guy that does things that no other goalie has done, then he may be held in a different acclaim despite not having the numbers. It's uh, it's largely dependent on that team's success, right? And, you know, even comparing Kirk McLean to Luongo, I, I, sometimes it's unfair. Like, was goaltending and the amount of goals that went in back then very different from nowadays. So you look at Kirk McLean's numbers, sub 900 save percentage, but like that was kind of the norm back then. Mm -hmm. Now, was he uh, above average relative to other netminders at the time? Yeah, but he wasn't among the best. And Luongo was clearly among the best. Mm -hmm. Probably should have won the Vesna in his first year. You know, uh, GM's vote on the Vesna, not, uh, not, writers and journalists and yes. not to say that gms uh, don't have a great opinion but uh, they they made the wrong decision that year yeah yeah <laughs> now I, I would say like how did luongo finish higher in heart voting than he did in in, in the vesna voting i don't know i don't get it yeah it's it honestly was because marty brodeur uh, that year broke the record for most wins in an nhl season yeah and i think that's the only reason why it happened like if brodeur doesn't win break the nhl record for most wins in a season luongo probably wins the vesna that year it and was 48 wins yeah i mean it was it was ridiculous right and it's like here here's luongo having this great season and this is a year the devils never lose any hockey game <laughs> and you know that's kind of what happened that he year he started 78 games that year only four games he dressed as a backup yeah it's it's, it's, it's ridiculous you're not going to see that again in the nhl right he also had 38 shutouts luongo did yeah demko sitting at 5 different game Still, right? But, I mean, yeah, but even even so, like, the beginning era of the cap era, like, it wasn't... Remember how many goals were going in the yeah, first few that's years? that's true. It tailed off a little bit, and it came... Like, we've 05, gone through some 06, phases. and 06, 07, there was a lot of goal scoring. And it went down a little bit. It peaked back up again, and now it's been, you know, pretty insane the past few years. But it's only been the last... Honestly, since the pandemic. Like, before the pandemic, we weren't seeing, you know, scoring rates be as high as they are right now. Yeah. And the... You know, I was going to say the uh, the 2011 year, he only had four, and that was um, the best defensive team in the league that season. He had nine in 0809 shutouts wise. Yeah, there's been very few of those opportunities for a goaltender in Vancouver. I mean, uh, you know, they've had two this year shutouts already, which really illustrates how much better they've been defensively as a team. But that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to team accolades and. I, I guess part of this too is what is Demko's future beyond his current contract? Well, and it's and it's funny because we we were just having this discussion. You know, the Canucks not having a ton of certainty on the on the cap beyond a couple of few yeah. years from now, it creates questions. Like when, when we're having these discussions, we can't say yeah, Demko has a chance because we don't know if Demko is going to be here after the next two years, and signing goalies into their thirties, it's it's difficult. So it's a big question around that, right? Um, but I do think. This regime believes in having great goaltending. You saw it too with Pittsburgh, how they relied on Tristan Jari, right? Yeah. And they and Rutherford saw firsthand what having a red hot Cam Ward did for them with the Carolina Hurricanes in 0506 when they won the Stanley Cup that mm -hmm. year too. So I think they truly value value goaltending. We saw Connor Hallibuck get a big contract into his 30s. It's happening with certain goaltenders. Does Demko? What does Demko need to do for you to feel confident in giving him a big extension? Yeah. I mean, he's got to be sort of in the Vesna conversation for the next couple of years. Win one. If he wins a Vesna, do you, can you let that guy go? Now, obviously, health notwithstanding, like obviously, that's always the the big. But isn't know, this question. the bigger conversation around the league? Like teams, most teams are reluctant to give more than, let's say, what 
even 8% of the salary cap seems like a large number for goaltenders. But that's kind of the number, right? Where you want to spend 8% of your cap on both of your goalies. Yeah. <laughs> like the entirety of your goalie tandem. And that's hard to do if you're going to pay one guy a ton of money. Now, Vasilevsky, um, even Connor Hellebuck, they've sort of bucked the trend. But we saw it with Sergei Bobrovsky. Maybe not the best thing yeah. to do for a guy that uh, – for, for a goaltender because – there is some volatility at the position. There is a larger, like, it's not the teams don't feel they don't need a goalie, but there is a philosophy growing of, and we do this, and we have this chat with Kevin Woodley almost every Wednesday, where it's like, yeah, we need goalies to make saves. We need a goalie to fit into our system. We need a goalie that... <laughs> As much as the goalie matters, we can't afford a goalie that doesn't make saves. We know now if we don't give up much in front of the goalie (laughs) and teams have always known this, but even more so the data is telling you like, Hey, if you give up these types of chances, there's almost no chance, no matter who goal, which goalie you have. And as talented as Thatcher Demko is last year, it didn't matter because the Canucks were so bad defensively, and that's why his 9-11 save percentage doesn't scream awesome goaltender, Vesna candidate goalie. It's a product of the teams that have been in front of Thatcher Demko for these years. Yeah, it's not because of Demko's not capable. You yes. know, it's because of the environment he's faced. And I think the question, too, in general, kind of becomes how much term are you willing to give out? Right. Right. And how do you feel about Ian Clark still being here long term? What do you have in a player in Arthur Silovs and you, your ability to find another player? And I think that kind of factors into it. But what you kind of mentioned in terms of how you play in front yeah. of them, has that not like been the big the big difference this year is how they played? Yes. The center depth's been obviously been a huge part of it this year because last year, how many times did we talk about, hey, we can talk about the defense getting a lot better, but if that center's not helping out, that east-west pass is happening. It puts the goalie in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not seeing the Canucks give a lot of that stuff up. It's because of how they're defending the middle. And oftentimes, the center is responsible for defending the middle, right? Yeah. We talk about the uh, the wingers have to get into the rail, but even that, the coach says that's the center's responsibility. At some point, you have to pass it off to the center if you're staying in your zone. That's become a strength for this team, and I think that also coincides with how good Thatcher Demko has been. Uh, final thought on this. I think Demko's future also sort of... It depends on a plan for the goalies of the future. Like, Is there a point where Arthur Silovs becomes undeniably good and the undeniably the next guy for the Vancouver Canucks? Because we all know he's pretty talented. But does that goalie pipeline produce somebody that's going to give you an option should Thatcher Demko move on or get priced out of being a Vancouver Canuck? Should we think, you know, should his Canucks career go as one where he wins a Vesna, And again, it's it's possibility this year. He's We're almost halfway through the season, and he's the Vesna favorite. Yeah, and that's what I mean by Thatcher, by, by having Ian Clark. Do you, yeah. like, do, you, do you just count on the strength of your organization being developing the goalie that goaltender? and developing that goaltender? Um, so, Pew Suter is coming back tonight, and it's Nils Oman that's coming out of the lineup. But in a more philosophical sense, it gives us a look at the Canucks with a more complete 12 
like group of forwards and the most complete group of forwards we've seen pretty much all season. Pew Suter and Teddy Bluger have only played one game together in the Canucks lineup. It was the Montreal game back in uh, mid-November. And since then, Pew Suter has been out of the lineup. It just coincided with Teddy Bluger coming into the lineup for the first time of the season. And now we're going to get to see how this looks. And for me, it's not so much how it all fits. It's more, can they continue to develop four forward lines that they're really comfortable with that they roll through because it seems like the teams that Rick Tockett really appreciates Florida Vegas that he's mentioned a bunch of times that's kind of the model he seems to want to be able to build out yeah and you know having that spine down your middle is such a big part of it and I think when you watch how the Canucks want to play and the responsibility the centers have too it becomes pretty clear that you're not going to be able to play the type of game these guys want unless you have the type of centers that can that can go both ways doing that. And Pew Suter, I've been so impressed with the details in his game. It's one thing for him to be a bit talented, do, do a bit of everything, but the fact that he's so good in understanding the game, knowing where to be, he's got a really good defensive stick, very active. It's like he's... It's like what I saw from him as a player. I'm like, oh, I like what he does. He seems pretty smart, but I can see him being soft in certain areas. That's gone from his game. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't get exposed for being soft and not, and not contesting things. I think he's he's a player, and I think maybe we should have considered this. Had only played two years in the NHL before the Canucks signed him. A bit older because he came over from Europe, but he does he doesn't have a ton of NHL experience. So still a player growing and molding. And now that he's come to this environment, now that you have him and Teddy Bluger, and you can roll those guys out. Every shift, when you don't have Pedersen, you don't have Miller, I think you can get start getting away from having JT being your matchup center all the time. Mm-hmm. That can create some more offensive opportunities for you, I think. And it, as much as you'd love to have a Mark Stone, you'd love to have a, a you know, William Carlson as players that are like incredible defensive you know forwards. Yeah. You don't quite have that, but you do have the ability down the middle at the very least to not be exposed and get your top guys away from the head-to-head matchups in, in a few games in certain situations. It uh, stood out today to me when um, Rick Tockett mentioned, I don't, I can trust Teddy Bluger and I can trust Pew Suter to take a defensive zone face-off. I don't have to hide them, yeah. is one of the things that he said. And that's, that's important. The Canucks haven't really had that. I mean, we've talked so much about JT Miller being essentially the only guy they've trusted to take D-zone face-offs in the past, and you take a little bit of that stress off of him, and all of a sudden, it opens up a lot more. Maybe you get a more efficient player in JT Miller through the 60 minutes. Like For, 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 all, for all the discussion around JT and, and, and people still pointing towards some of the underlying numbers and, and how some of them uh, haven't been incredible or whatever. Oh, Jay, Jay Fresh uh, released a, a very positive card for JT Miller today. So maybe maybe the perception is changing now. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Now, like on some of the, the bigger ones, I know you look at the Corsi and the yes. expected goals for percentage. And again, I'd say like you got to be really careful uh, taking the public – shot metrics yes that seriously like they're not quite as indicative as they were a few years ago but i do think even if by those metrics if you're not asking of jt what you're asking of him now to that same degree those numbers will get better yeah like we're talking about a very select few of players that play the type of role that jt plays this year yeah 
And if he's playing a little bit lesser of a role, those numbers are going to look good. And guess what's going to happen when those numbers look great? People are like, look at look how great JT is as a two-way player. Look, look how great JT is. And sometimes you have to look at other situations other teams play their top guys in and then make the comparison of why those numbers aren't as good as some other teams' numbers or players on some other teams. And yes, he's not Ryan O'Reilly in his prime. He's not Sean Couturier in his prime. JT Miller is not the two-way force Patrice Bergeron was. Obviously, we all know this. So if you can ask a little less of him, defensively, I think that can go a long way. It's going to be interesting tonight, especially with Florida in town and uh, Sasha Barkov playing like that guy, (laughs) playing like the guy that wants to take over the mantle of best two-way forward in the league from Patrice Bergeron, who retired at the end of last season. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah coming up. Ed Jovanovsky is going to join us. Jovocop coming up on Canuck Central. Back in on Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah in the Kintech studio. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Let's bring in our next guest, Ed Jovanovsky, former Canuck and current Panthers analyst for Bally Sports Florida. What's happening, Jovo Cop? Dan, Sat, everything's well, man. You guys? Yeah, we're doing... We're doing pretty well, man. The city's buzzing. Like uh, you, you know it as well as anyone. When uh, when the Canucks are good, man, the, this city is just buzzing in the in the winter. Well, it's good to see. You know, they're definitely an exciting team. I've been watching a lot of games and um, talks pushing the right buttons right now. But you're getting anytime you get your your horses playing mm-hmm. the way they should be playing, uh, usually going to get the outcome uh, that you're looking for. So it's good to see. Team looks good, so it should be a fun game tonight. Uh, what, what, how well do you know talk? Well, I had him in Phoenix, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a couple of years there. And, um, you know, just obviously, you know, played against him a little bit earlier on in my career and, and, uh, played a few rounds of golf with him. So solid guy. Is he a good golfer? Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> what a hockey player isn't good. Right. <laughs> Mostly you know? just the European guys. Those guys, like some of them, they, they just don't they don't know how to golf. Right. That's, Yarko, that's what I figured out. Yarko couldn't golf, could he? <laughs> yeah, they're good at ping pong. Though. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like badminton or something. <laughs> so uh, let, let's. I want to get your take on this on this Florida team right now. Uh, before we get into Roberto Luongo, who's going to be the, the, the star of the night uh, here here in Vancouver. But um, I, I, you know, looking through and, and seeing how this, uh, you know, this Panthers team has come through the, the tough injuries that started the year and, Heck, they've just picked up right where they left off uh, last year in the playoffs. As I went through it, though, I can't believe the season Sasha Barkov is having. I mean, I know he's one of the best centers in the game, but, I mean, he's at five on five. He's been on the ice for 23 goals for and just five against. I mean, he's just been completely dominant out there. Yeah, and and listen, you know, we have the treat to see him on a, you know, band-out basis, I think, for him, and it's – um. You know, we talk so much, 
you know, about his game, his 200-foot game, right? You know, and, you know, just the little things that probably, you know, at the end of the night that don't go, you know, noticed on a score sheet, but you see it so much. And, and the responsibility of, of the centerman, as you guys know, you know, there's a lot going on. You know, he's always seems to be layered in the right position. He's always seemed to be that extra step where he's lifting a stick, taking a puck away. Um, he's putting the puck into the right areas when his time and space is taken away. And he, and then speaking on the offensive side of things, it's good to see him shooting a little bit more because he's got a hell of a wrist shot, um, you know, and, and he makes everybody on that line better. And it's um, – and it, it's 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 great to see because you know every night you look at his game and he really never has an off night. Mm-hmm. You know he's he's in the mix a lot and um, he's certainly you know a guy that you know this team relies on a lot and he takes a lot upon himself being you know the captain of the team and the leader to kind of propel the guys in the right direction. And it seems like he's almost extra motivated because I mean he was he was good in the playoffs last year, but but he didn't quite seem as physical as he normally is. So it made me kind of wonder if he was kind of going through something and maybe not being at his f- uh, full health, which I guess nobody is when you're playing that deep into the into the playoffs, Jovo. But it seems like he he almost took it upon himself to be even you know tougher to play against this year. Yeah, it's not only him. I mean, you know, he he does, and you can tell you know just the way you hear him speak. You know, I, I'm not a huge stat guy, to be honest with mm-hmm. you guys. I, I know he's he's caught a couple records, Florida Panther records. He surpassed certain guys. But his main goal is, you know, I, this team, we're right there, and we feel like we've taken another step. And, you know, we need to be better because the ultimate goal is we know what it is. And, yeah, they had a, they had that run last year, and, and – they were kind of within reach of hoisting the Stanley Cup, but watching them play this year and, and last game was kind of an exception. They just didn't have their legs and there were just uncharacteristic mistakes that they were making. But they're they're so sound in all in all the positions. It's it's really a team that's kind of bought into the system of knowing that defense is gonna win you win you games and ultimately win you championships along with great goaltending. And um, it, it's been it's been remarkable to watch because it's you know they'll stifle teams and and what happens when you stifle a team right the frustration level just starts picking up from the other side and and they start opening up but what happens is the Florida Panthers don't deviate so they stick to their system and then they're getting a lot of opportunities and, and they're cashing in so as much as um, you know Barky's been better a lot of these guys. Um, really take it upon themselves to do the little things and do it the right way and they're getting results from it um as as a defenseman um what what to you makes a a good defensive center and 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 how do they stay connected with their defensemen to um sort of allow allow themselves to be that 200 foot player that everybody is is always wanting on their team well the old saying right good defense create offense yeah it's easier said than done but I, i think that's exactly it with sasha you know, he seems to be in the right spot in the defensive zone. He's always underneath it. You never see a player, you know, kind of on the other side of him. He's, his hockey IQ in that area is off the charts where his body positioning seems to be in the right spot at the, at the right time always. Uh, you're not going to fool him in the, on the offensive zone. He really kind of plays the game the right way. And I, I think that's just it. I, 
I think his work ethic, I mean, you know, these top players sometimes can, you know, be a little slow at times or just not care at times. I mean, Barkoff, he's, he's the guy that, you know, takes pride in, in everything he does and uh, he wants to get better each and every night. And I think when you watch him, and you'll see him tonight. I mean, the guy, he just, he seems to be in the right spot at the right time where he doesn't really have to overextend to make an exceptional play to break up a defensive, you know, part of the game. You know, he seems to be in the right spot. And, and listen, he's a powerful guy. He's a big guy. So he mm. does get a step on you on the offensive side. He's very tough to kind of get inside on and, and get the puck away from him. He shields it very well. And then he's going to be on his own with creativity on the offensive side. But you ask him, he takes more pride in, in playing on the other end of the rink, um, you know, than, than probably setting up a goal. One of the you know top players on the team up front too is Matthew Kachuk, and we know the injury he had last year. And you know I think he, it was remarkable how quick he came back from it. And, 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 and I know you said don't get focused too much on numbers, but you know Kachuk's not scoring at the rate we're normally accustomed right. to seeing. Where do you think his game is at, and, and how much do you think he's still trying to get back after that long recovery from that broken sternum? Yeah, so it's, it's a short off season, right? And especially for him, you know, battling through the injury, and we all heard the stories about him can't get up. So that takes quite a bit of time, you know, just to heal and get right. Then before you know it, it's, you know, you have I don't know how many weeks you have of training or, or months, not not many before training camp starts again. But you know, one thing I noticed with Matt, Matthew, you know, he's got 106 shots. I mean, he is getting opportunities. He's getting looks. And we all know with top players, you're going to get these opportunities. One's going to go in and they're going to come in, in bundles for him. So he's doing a lot of other things. If you've got 20 points on the year, um, you know, for him, it's probably not where he wants to be, you know, as far as the goal total. But uh, one encouraging sign on that is, and you hear a lot of talk around the team, but that he is getting opportunities. He's shooting a lot of pucks. And I, I actually asked Coach Maurice, you know, about this one morning, I asked him, I said, it's unusual to see, you know, him on the flank on the power play. It's kind of just ripping shots. Never really seen Matthew in that area. He's always down, you know, by the net. And and his answer to that was, well, you got movement around and sometimes we'll try and different things. So I, I think they're at, at one point they were really kind of looking at him, you know, especially on the power play to be that guy on the half boards to let it go. Last few games, he's finding himself on that goal line looking for that low play that the Panthers have done so well on the power play on. Um, but listen, it's going to come for him. He's getting opportunities, put in a lot of situations to succeed, and um, these players find a way. What, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at Sam Reinhart and the season he's having. He's just, uh, he's drinking that some of that contract year juice, isn't he? Yeah, I was asked yesterday, I mean, what is it? I said, yeah, it's, I know what it is. It's a contract. <laughs> you know, what do you think? You know? But, yeah, I know he's he's um, he's been special, man. I, I, I think for him, and we talk about, you know, hockey IQ, and coach was saying, listen, when I'm stumped on something, and Maurice is a pretty intelligent coach, I go to Sam Reinhardt, you know, for an answer. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just the player he is and, and right now historically him being here he's had he hasn't never had kind of this start at the end of the year he's still getting 30 goals but he's on a nice pace right now uh things are going in for him he's not afraid to shoot the puck um he's good on getting his stick on pucks from the point but around the net he does his work around the net he's really creative and he finds that open ice 
and um, get that shot off, and he's been scoring, so it's nice. As far as the back end is concerned, uh, you know, getting Aaron Ekblad and Brandon Montour back healthy obviously is a big boost to the back end. But earlier in the year, uh, it gave Oliver Ekman Larson a big role, and he's done well from from a stats perspective, of course. But he's playing, you know, fairly big minutes, and it seems like he's fitting in well in Florida. What are you seeing in Oliver Ekman Larson's game that makes it work there right now? Well, he's rejuvenated, that's for sure. He's skating well, and you know, his biggest asset is getting back quick. And, and moving the puck and letting the puck do the work. I think any defenseman you can talk to, I think when you start trying to do a little bit too much, the guys are too good and just doesn't work. So I think the structure is good for him where he knows what he's got to do. But it's all the same things, I think, with him. I think getting the puck at the point, finding that lane, getting it through the net. He was playing kind of mid-20s before these guys came back. It's kind of tapered off a little bit for him, averaging right around 20 minutes, I believe. And, um, but yeah, he's, he's been good. He's been good. I mean, primarily playing with Kulikov, they've been good together. And, um, but he's definitely, he did his job. Listen, when these two guys were, were, were out, Aaron Ekblad and Brandon Montour, these guys were, these guys were eating about 25, 26 minutes a night. So not to take away from the other guys, but you had four guys that you were kind of running with and OEL was in that group where they were playing a lot of minutes and then Forsling and, and Mikola kind of stepped into that area and Cooley. And um, so they did a good job and these guys back and you can see the difference on this back end. They're pretty solid on all three of their pairings, the interchange, uh, Uvis Balinskis with Kulikov here and there, but uh, with Forsling and Ekblad and, and Mikola and Montour and OEL and Kulikov, um, it's pretty solid six. So, but uh, OEL is, is definitely come in. And I think the pressure off a little bit too, right, guys? I mean, you come into a situation, you're in Florida, you're not kind of getting bombarded too much by, you know, your your numbers or whatever the case may be. I think he's done in here, come in here quietly, done a nice job, and he's been a pleasant surprise for him. You know, uh, Rick Tockett was uh, praising the uh, parts of the, the Florida Panthers this morning after, after morning skate and, you know, uh, talked a lot about uh, their identity as a team. They really play to it. Admired how uh, you know when they go out of the corners and they they win a lot of loose pucks. It just uh, kind of a very coach speak to to really admire a, a, an opposing team's battle level, isn't it? Yeah, and that is he's he's bang on. I think in that area, I think along along with the skill level of, I mean, you look at the the top nine of this. You put it up with anyone, you know, around the league. I, I think they're they're well balanced. Bill Zito's done a nice job on the depth, but they are really good, you know, along the boards. They protect puck well. They get that cycle game going, and really kind of cycle it to death until there's an opportunity to kind of take the puck towards the net. Um, but they play a certain way, and it can be frustrating at times, and um, you know, for the opponents. But they understand that. You know, a lot of the game nowadays, I mean, you win that board battle, you're going to have success. And you hear a lot of coaches talk about it. You can't be soft along the board. You really got to win those 50-50 pucks, and you got to protect the puck well. And the Florida Panthers, I think they have a mixture of kind of guys on each line that can do it. Matthew being one of those guys, it's an area, basically a stat you don't really hear about, but you see him along the board, the way he protects the puck, and he usually comes out with it. You know, Evan Rodriguez has been another guy, too, surprising. I mean, this guy's been – he works his, his tail off, and he, they're so well. 
you know, along the board, Mickey Cousins, another guy, as long as you don't turn your back on him, <laughs> yeah. you know, he, um, <laughs> and I thought Adam questionable. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, overall, I, I think, listen, I, I think this, I, I think talk hit it on the head. Um, they do work hard and they grind it out. Now, obviously, uh, prior to the game tonight, Roberto Luongo is going to go into the Canucks Ring of Honor, and uh, you didn't play with him in his early parts of his career in Florida. And you obviously just over—you didn't quite overlap with him in Vancouver. He came the year you left for Phoenix, but you did play with him in your uh, in your final year with the Florida Panthers before you retired. What do you remember from being teammates with Roberto Luongo? Well, just a real, real focused, you know, individual. Um, really took his. His job, you know, seriously, you know, a lot of times these goaltenders are kind of in their zone, and, and Louie was, you know, but he also, as we know, he's he's that fun guy as well. But um, I like like you guys said, I didn't have the opportunity to play with him in his early days, but towards the end, even, you know, in the latter part, you can still see the drive, um, everything there for him. So um, much deserves all the recognition, his Hall of Fame and induction as well. And, um you know, going into the ring of honor there at, in Vancouver to be a special night for him. I've asked this to a lot of guys, but is he uh, is he as good a poker player as uh, as everybody makes him out to be? <laughs> I don't I don't re- I don't really remember. I think that my thing is with the NHL poker games, no one's going to fool anyone, right? You want to <laughs> raise me, I'll call you, right? Yeah, fair enough. Like you're, you're I, I know you long enough to know. Okay, you're bluffing or you're just you want to end this hand or whatever the case may be. And that's what I found out playing 20 years, you know, a poker game is you're not, you're not going to fool me. If you're going to call me and you're going to raise me, I'm probably going to call you. I might go through my per diem before the wheels get <laughs> off the ground, you know, but um, overall, yeah. But, but his, yeah, I hear a lot about his game. Um, I think he, he, at one point I know he was taking poker pretty seriously. Um, I'm not sure about it anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty busy now with some uh, bigger, <laughs> bigger moves. The poker he's playing with was is with other GMs and AGMs when they're talking to other teams. Probably, I can see him schooling those guys. <laughs> yeah, I can see you that. Know? <laughs> yeah, he's probably taking a lot of money from like, uh, uh, like the support staff in these poker games. <laughs> uh, but, but Jovo, uh, one of the things I did want to ask you because you did play against him a number of times. What was the mindset like when you guys had to go into games and you knew a player like Luongo was between? the pipes on the other end well I, I think it's just you know you try to frustrate goaltenders right goalies that have you know elite talent and and their ability to to see pucks you have to get in front of them and make their life you know miserable in front of them. i remember that's not only louis but you know a lot of top end goaltenders you know that's the game plan kind of going in you know but he always seemed to because he had the size he always seemed to kind of find his way to, um, you know, to, you know, look around guys and, and make that save. And that's where I remember about Louis, just his work ethic in the net was, you know, second to none. He was always grinding, never gave up on a play. Same thing in practice as well. He was always that guy that, you know, wanted to get better and, um, you know, it paid off for him. Definitely. Jovo, uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this today. All right, guys. Enjoy the game. Uh, there he is, uh, Jovo Cop, joining us here on uh, on Canuck Central. Always a pleasure chatting with Jovo. Yeah, uh, I always think when we have Jovo on, I always think to uh, 
the bubble playoffs. Yes. Because uh, we had Jovo uh, and Yannick on uh, pre and post game. They would come on and yeah, chat about yeah. the postseason and everything. So brings me back to those days. I, like it's, it's kind of a funny feeling. Like it was fun talking about the Canucks. Uh, playing in the bubble playoffs, but also brings back uh, the isolation of working through the pandemic. <laughs> Just a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting looking at this Florida team. And we're going to dive into the pregame matchup a little bit more. But they are, and and how they've played this year, I think is sort of what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine are trying to build out in Vancouver. Like, hey, we can build out two pretty good lines. We've got some pretty high-end talent throughout our roster. But how do we build out capable players beyond that and find players that play to our identity of who we want to be as a team? They don't always have to be the biggest name guys. How do we develop guys into having that mindset, having that identity? And how do we build a team in a system where if we have a couple of injuries, we can still succeed and make it work for a month, six weeks, however long that might be. Eventually, you know, th these are all the things the top teams do. And the Canucks feel like they are on the way to building that, but just not quite there yet. They're getting a lot closer, yeah. you know, and, and even from how they play as a team, like we're seeing like this season has ebbed and, ebbed and flowed a little bit. Yeah. And there were some questions about, okay, your first 14 games, hey, it was terrific. The next 14 games, maybe not quite mm -hmm. as good, you know, obviously, but then, or I'd say the next 12 games uh, were, weren't quite at the level that you would have hoped that they would be. But then these last three, Mm -hmm. They're kind of getting back to what they had shown earlier this season. So it shows that there is an identity. It's about honing in on it and it yeah. becoming kind of second nature in what they are. And that's going to be the task for the rest of the season, right? It's like, how close to that can they get? And what does it look like at the end? How close to our complete picture is this? And what are the true missing parts? And what do we need to put it over the top? And then, you know, hopefully in the postseason, you see how they stack up as well. And that's something that, you know, Rutherford alluded to yesterday, that in terms of really knowing what else this team needs, big picture, long term you kind of also have to see how they stack up through yeah. these runs through these stretches and what do they look like can they get close to the identity we want as a club and uh tonight's a, a really good test you know florida the more i've i've looked at the canucks lately and and hey you know when they started the season they were going hot the top six was as good as any out there mm -hmm. in the league that slowed down for a bit and with it came the results slowing down you look at Florida, their top two lines, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the Rodriguez-Barkov and, and Reinhardt line is arguably, not, not even really all that arguably, they've been the best line in the league <laughs> they so have far been, this yeah. season. And um, the, the numbers bear that out. But then you can go to a line with Sam Bennett and Matthew Kachuk and Carter Verhage, who just mm -hmm. scored 40 goals last year. I mean, that's, that's a level of top six that the Canucks have pieces towards building to but haven't yet fully built out so i mean you can say this you're reinhard besser yeah right you can say uh, uh barkov um and barkov is is and he's Pedersen. just been he's, in a he's, yeah he's different I mean, level he has I mean, Pedersen barkov like number one centers right um and then reinhard right now and, and with Besser, kind of similar Kachuk Miller. Yeah. Kachuk's probably a bit you know, more impactful, although his season this year hasn't quite been at that level. But they have... The production hasn't necessarily been there. You know, and then, you know, Sam Bennett, Sam Bennett, Carter Verhage, Evan Rodriguez. 
I think you compare that to Kuzmenko, yeah, Mikheyev, right now Lafferty. Yeah. It's really Verhage who's that next big-time goal scorer that adds to that group. Which was uh, Kuzmenko last which year. Which was Kuzmenko last year. Can he get back to doing that? And uh, that's kind of where it feels like the Canucks are, are missing a little bit right now. But we'll dive into more of this as we get into the pregame show coming up after 6 o'clock. Up next, we'll hear from Roberto Luongo on Canuck Central.